I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. I'm going to jump right in here in just a moment because there are 67 verses to cover today. And you're already looking at your watches. And, um, but fortunately you ate already, so that's good. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Genesis chapter 24, we've come to this point now where God has, is keeping his promises. He's been making promises. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have offspring. And now Abraham and Sarah have a son. And in the midst of all of this, God has been teaching Abraham and Sarah to trust him, to not go at it their own way, to not try to figure out how they can help God by doing God's job for him, but instead to trust God in his ways. That God is always going to be faithful. God has a purpose and a plan, and God is always going to be faithful to his purposes and his plans and his promises, which means he's always going to be faithful and good to us. And our job is not to try to figure out the most expedient, the best, the, the, the way that will work, the, the thing that makes the most sense. Our job is to be obedient to what God says. When God says it, we do it. That's our job, to faithfully obey because we believe that God will keep his promises and that God is good. And so Abraham has been learning this lesson. He's learned it the hard way. He's learned it by failure. He's learned it by going and not trusting God. He's going, learned it by going and actually trying to find another way, an easier path. But God has brought him back in the midst of all those trials, in the midst of all that testing. God has brought him now in his old age to this place where he has lost his wife of about 90 years probably. And now he's in this place of he has a son in his 30s who has no wife. And God said, I will make of you a great nation. So here we go again. How is God going to provide for God's plan and God's purpose and God's promise? How is God going to do this? Abraham, last time God needed to provide, took for himself Hagar, right? He went his own path. This time, what's he going to do? And so we begin in chapter 24 with this reality of God's sovereign promises and God's providential work in the life of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, and in this servant who is sent. So chapter 24, follow along in your copy of God's Word. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one right there in the pew back in front of you. I encourage you to follow along. Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham was old. That's just about as blunt as you can get, right? But that's also old news, because he's been old for about 12 chapters, right? But now he's really old. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Reminder. All the way back in the story, God had called Abram out of Ur. Abram was a moon worshiper along with his people. He called him out of darkness and brought him into light, brought him into the ways of God, brought him into faith, brought him into God's grace and mercy, and took him on a path and said, I, I wanna, I'm going to show you a land when you get there. But I want you to go, and I'm going to show you a land. And that land is going to be your inheritance. Now Abraham is saying, I have a son who is the promise of that inheritance. I get the land and a people, and he's the promise of that inheritance. Don't take him back to that land. And don't let him marry into the Canaanites of this land. They are worshipers of idols. They are evil. And you will not have him 
marry into these people. He says, don't let that happen. You're going to go now to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. This is what the servant said to him. Perhaps the woman, this is a pretty logical statement, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. So basically Abraham says, I want you to go find a wife and convince her to come back with you. Perhaps this woman will not be willing. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? You see what's happening here? So, so we know we got to find a wife for Isaac, so we can't get one from Canaan. And you want me to go find one from your old land, but if I go there and the woman doesn't want to leave there, should I take Isaac there? But remember, there's two parts to the promise. There's a great nation, but there's also a land. And Abraham's saying, no, my people will be in God's land for his people. And that's what's going to happen. And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from, for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God, so he prays here, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show your steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, so in the midst of his praying, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. And just so you know, that would probably take... Based on 10 camels and the amount that camels drink, probably two to three hours for her to do. The man gazed at her for two to three hours (laughs) in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. I think probably after hour one, he figured it out. Okay. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a golden ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And this is what the man does. He goes, woohoo! Because he knew that's Abraham's brother's family. That's who he was looking for. He didn't know where they were, but God had led them there. And so what does he do? He blesses the Lord. He said, blessed, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, 
who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me to the, in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. You're going to remember, want to remember his name for later in the story. Laban ran out toward the man to the, toward the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, he went, oh, and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister. That's not in the scripture, but he was a brother. Okay. The, right, he, and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. So then he begins to recount the whole story of what just happened of God's faithfulness. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he's become great. He has given him flocks and, and herds, silver and gold, made servants and female servants, uh, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son, for my clan and for my father's house. Then you'll be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you're prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed, and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his, for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. They, he has found, the, this servant has found the people who are just like Abraham. God has said it, so it will be. He's found them. In a world of lostness, Abraham's family is the only ones that's, that's been called out of this lostness. But he has a, another person here. He has another family who's seeking the Lord. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. I just want you to see, every time God does something in the midst of this, what does the servant do? He worships. Because he's recognizing at every turn that God is at work. That God's doing something. Do you, do you have that sort of sense in your life where in the midst of everything, you're able to stop and say, praise the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or are you like me that far too often is 
not until after everything that your hindsight becomes 2020 and you're able to say oh i see what god was doing there wouldn't it be great to be able to have this sort of worshipful attitude being able to bless the lord see his hand all along the way and not just after the fact i think this text gives us some clues as to how to do that he heard those words and he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he had said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days after that she may go. I mean, that's not that big of a request, is it? I mean, dude rolls up with 10 camels, says, hey, finding a wife for this guy you've never met. Um, you want to go? Uh, how about we wait 10 days? See, it sounds pretty logical to me, but he says, no, he's resolute in his faith that God is doing this. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Look at what God has done to get me here. Let's not stand in the way of what God is doing. God has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. What a woman of faith. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and she will. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. And her offspring will. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bear Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So you have this scene of an old man wanting a wife for, for his son, his only son now. And he wants to make sure that God's plans and promises are being kept. And that he's being faithful to what God has prospered all along the way. And what God has promised for the future. And you have that at the beginning of the story. In the middle of the story, you have this impossible journey. Right? This impossible task of finding a godly woman in the midst of ungodliness. And at the end, you have like the um, really cheesy Hallmark movie ending, right? Where it's like they're standing in a field. Maybe it's the romance novel that you see on the shelf. And they're standing in the field. The light's shining down. It's just perfect. Her her hair's blowing in the wind, you know. right. I mean, that's kind of what you have at the end where it's just like, wow, look at that. But we know that Isaac and Rebecca, they're going to have some problems along the way, mostly to do with their kids. And we know part of that story that's coming. But the fact of the matter is God's at work here. And he's at work in every possible way on every possible level to accomplish his purposes. And at the heart of all of this is this word that I want you to go home with. It's this word providence. I want you to understand, we understand, we know that God is sovereign over all things, right? He is the king. Nothing happens in this world without his say-so. He is the one who says it, and it happens, right? That's, that's what we know about God. But do you understand that God is not just the God of the miraculous, like, 
voice from heaven, clouds parting, shaft of light. That's not the only way God demonstrates his sovereignty. But the primary way that God demonstrates his sovereignty is through his providence in the everyday When we talk about how God moves and works in the everyday, and we're so blind to it so often, that's why we get to that point of after the fact being able to look back and say, oh, I see what God was doing there, but we miss it when he's doing it. Are you in that boat with me? Where so often we miss how God is moving and working. It's been said by John Piper, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but God is at work in 10 trillion different ways in your life and in the world, and you're aware of three. Okay, And the fact is, he's constantly moving. The Heidelberg Catechism says this about the providence of God. The almighty and everywhere present power of God is, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and governs them so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, all things come not by chance but by early hand. His character, his sovereignty, his fatherliness towards us means that he's working all things together for good so when we say god is sovereign he speaks it and it's done when we say god's providence is at work we say all things work together for the good of those who love god and are called according to his purpose this is the beauty of what it is to have a father in heaven who's in control because he doesn't just work in one-off ways where hey you need something got it i mean that's great when he does it isn't it But he's doing that all the time in smaller, more intimate ways, ways that we're not aware of so often. And I know the older and older you get in your life, the more you're able to look back and see how God's done that, right? The more you walk through life, you're able to look back at your kids and your wife and your husband and your life and your work and wherever you've gone. You see God has moved in ways that you weren't aware at the time. I want to posit today this. Wouldn't it be great to? Right when it's happening. Wouldn't it be great to just get to pull the veil back a little bit? And I think this passage allows us to do that by faith. It gives us some tools that we can begin to apply to our life so that we don't miss what God's doing right now. Because there's joy and there's peace and there's comfort and there's his love on display. It's so often when we don't see what God is doing that we begin to question Is he really going to give me peace? Is he really going to give me joy? Does he really love me? But when we can see it, we don't question those things, right? When we can actually get a view of it. But that view comes by faith. Often it doesn't come by pure sight. There are times where God is so good to us that he gives us outward manifestations of his faithfulness. Where you can just see it and you can go, whoa. But more often than not, it's up to the eyes of faith. To see what God is up to. To trust him in his goodness. And that's where Abraham starts. Abraham had faith in God's faithfulness to his people and his promises. God had said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And God had said, you're going to inhabit the land. So those two things work together in this charge that Abraham gives his servant. Go find a wife for Isaac. No, he can't leave the land. And no, you can't have, he can't have one of the women here. And I, I guarantee you, Isaac's in his 30s probably at this point. Guaranteed, Isaac has seen some pretty women around town probably had a couple of crushes on women around the well but abraham's going no there's something greater for him so you've got to go somewhere else to find him the faith that abraham had that he puts on display here had been forged in 
in all of the trials and the tests that he had been through. Remember, it's not been too long ago that Abraham took Isaac up the hill willing to sacrifice him. God tested his faith and then provided for him in that moment a substitute. Can God not provide a wife? If God could provide a ram, could he not provide a wife? So Abraham's faith has been forged by all of the trials and testing. Abraham's failed so often. We have story after story here in Genesis of Abraham failing in faith, right? Where he says, well, you know, why don't you just take Sarah? She's just my sister. Where he takes Hagar. Where he says, I'll take a wife for myself. I'll, I'll make a baby. If God's not going to give me a baby, I'll make a baby. And the fact of the matter is he's constantly trying to do things for God, to take the place of God, to make things easier for God, to accomplish God's purposes. But now, in his old age, as it says, advanced in years, he's understood God's providence. He can look back and see how God has moved in everyday ways. And so that faith gets put on display in faithful obedience. Recognize this once again. Our job is not to do God's job for him. You've heard it said, God helps those who help themselves. Anybody heard that before? Yeah. Hate to blow this up for you. Nowhere in the Bible. In fact, it's completely opposite of the entire testimony of Scripture. So for us to go about saying God helps those who help themselves, I want you to understand this. God helps those and blesses those who entrust him with their well-being. To entrust him fully with their well-being. To trust him for his purposes and plans. There's where the blessing is. There's where the help comes. My help comes from the Lord. Where will it come? It's not going to come from me. It's going to come from the Lord. And that faith that God is going to help means our job becomes not figuring out the best way to do something. Figuring out the most expedient way to do something. Figuring out how to get from point A to point B. It's to take the next task that God has given us. Do this and do it in faithful obedience, trusting that God is going to accomplish his purposes. So Abraham had faith in God's faithfulness to his people and his promises, but also God's faithfulness to provide because he had seen God do this. He's no longer going to cut corners. His faith is not going to allow him to cut corners and to try to find another path. He's going to trust God's path, even if it's the hard one. He's, it's a faith that's going to lead Abraham now to act passionately. It takes passion to look at another man and say, grab my thigh. That takes passion. But really what he's doing is making a covenant. He's like, this is serious stuff. It's like, you're going to go find a wife for my son, and he's, she's going to be godly because my grandkids will be raised to know and fear the Lord. And this is passionate. He acts passionately. And it's, a, it's the same type of faith that will cause him to inspire and require absolute faithfulness in others. So... This servant goes on a task, and he has a charge from Abraham, because, and he takes it not just as a charge from Abraham, but you can see in his actions and in his prayers and in his worship, he takes this as a charge from God. That's inspired by Abraham's faith. But how does God actually work this out? He works out supernatural faithfulness through his providence, but how does he do it? There's a supernatural guidance that comes in life. Wouldn't it be really nice to just know what we're supposed to do all the time? Anybody else just says, yes, I'd like to know what to do all the time. Okay, let me, let, me, let me help you. Let me help you real quick, okay? First of all, 
Read the book where he tells you what to do. That's what I'm going to say, okay? Because there's a lot in there you may be missing, okay? The second thing I'm going to tell you, here's good news. He's already given you his spirit if you were his child. He's already given you his spirit. Look at what happens here. There's a faith in Abraham's servant that is beautiful. And what does it start with? It starts with prayer. He doesn't come in and say, all right, coming into town, who's the richest, who's the best looking? What does he say? Lord, I'm here at this spring. If you're going to prosper my way and if you're going to show your loving kindness to my master, will you reveal to me who this is? He comes in prayer. And when God answers the prayer, he doesn't go, wow, I did a really good job choosing somebody. Because he didn't just find someone who was a servant. He found someone who was pretty, too. She was attractive. It's not going, hey, Isaac's going to be pretty pleased here. Right? What does he do? He goes back to the Lord and says, oh, Lord, bless you for what you've done. And at every turn, as he prays to the Lord and God answers the prayer, what does he do? He blesses the Lord in return. There's a faith that's prayerful, a faith that a faith that causes him to and leads him into worship so abraham's servant was led by god's providential hand to this place there are plenty of cities he could have gone to but what did he do he showed up at this one city there are plenty of springs he could have gone to but he showed up at that one spring there are plenty of times he could have been there but he showed up at that time and he prayed a prayer God, may it be the woman who not only offers me water when I ask, but offers to water the camels, a woman of character, a woman who will serve. Abraham's servant was led by God through everyday events of life. How did he see those so that he could interpret them as God is doing that? How did he see the everyday of this woman, just like every other woman, coming to draw water? How did he see her as the one? How did he see her as the one? Then he's able to go and recount this to her whole family. And they're able to say, wow, yes, God was obviously at work. How could they see that then? Because too often in my life, I don't see it right there in the moment. I think the answer is his prayerful dependence from the beginning. See, he didn't wait till he got, till he met Rebecca and said, make her the one. There's always a lot of interest in how do you find a spouse, right? You know, especially with single people. They, hopefully it's only with single people, but usually well, with parents with their kids too. All right, so it's not only with single people. But there's always this interest in how to find a spouse. How do you find the right one? Right? One of my friends, about 20 years ago, we were having a conversation. It was right in the middle of all of these books coming out about biblical courtship and biblical dating and biblical this. And everybody's trying to find a biblical way of doing something we had was about biblical courtship and biblical dating because he had been asked to write a an intro to a book about biblical courtship and his response was if it was biblical i would do it and they went but it is biblical he said saying saying courtship is more biblical than dating is like saying hondas are more biblical than fords neither one's in the bible so that doesn't make sense so we determined we were going to write a book together on biblical ways to find a wife like, kill her husband. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's at least in the Bible. Right? One was send your servant to a far off land and give her jewelry. It's in the Bible. Right? For some way, reason, Lifeway didn't want to buy the rights to that book. I don't understand why, but it never got written. But 
The fact is we, we make some silly statements, don't we, in trying to be spiritual and trying to understand what God's up to when he works in plain sight all the time and we miss him. Look at what God's been doing, not just through the servant, but Rebecca lives in a pagan land and is a virgin. God did that. And this servant didn't wait 20 years. Oh, my word. God did that. He, in the moment, could say, bless the Lord for what you're doing, not just what you've done. And it all started with a prayerful dependence, a faith that was prayerful, a faith that was resolute. And that prayerful, resolute faith led him to this place. I'm going to live by faith, not by sight. I'm going to trust God to bring the right person. And he wasn't first concerned about what she looked like. And they lived in an appearance-driven society, just like we do. But what was he after? Character. Character over appearance. And what did God do? Gave him both. What if you shoot for what is important and God gives you what is perfect? Could it be that in that moment he's seeing God's providential hand? I, I love this story because at the end of the story you have Rebecca being given the choice, which would have been really unusual in that day. And she chooses faith over sight. She doesn't get a glimpse of Isaac except for from a distance. And even then, that's my master's son. And what does she do in that moment? She immediately prepares herself because she's walking by faith here, trusting the Lord. There's faith all over this passage. And it's a faith that sees in the moment that God is moving and working. It's not a faith that has to wait to see that. I want that for me. <laughs> I want that for us. I want that for my kids. I want that for I want that for us that we can see. We don't we can see, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody stop for just a second. Did you did you recognize what God is doing right now? Can we just praise him? Bless him over and over and over again in this passage. The servant says, bless the Lord, because he sees it. So what is it in your life that demonstrates that God is providentially working out his promises? Can you see it? When you've asked for wisdom and he's given you wisdom, and maybe you just neglected his wisdom for somebody else's wisdom, it's not, not happened in your life because it's happened in my life. Where we ask for something and he gives it to us and we claim it as something we accomplished. Does that happen in your life? Because it's happened in my life. And it's often not until a year, two years, five years down the road when I look back and I go, oh my goodness, how unfaithful was I, but how faithful was my God. Hey, that's good news that he is faithful even in the fact that we are unfaithful. But wouldn't it be better if we work together instead of against God most of the time? This is a perfect picture of what that looks like. 
And what does God provide? He provided a future for Isaac. He had already promised a future. Now he provides it. He had promised offspring and an inheritance. And now he's providing it because he's faithful. God provided godliness and character for Isaac. He provided a wife who was holy and set apart, even in the midst of an ungodly world. And I don't know about you, but I look at my girls right now and I'm going, there's not going to be a single guy left on the planet who has not, is not addicted to porn by the time they're ready to get married. I mean, it's just a fact. I mean, it's hopeless in my mind. The numbers are staggering. We're talking 100%. What do I do as a father? Can I trust God to, to spare? I mean, you know, so what do I need to do now? I need to start praying for him now. God, would you lead them into life in a normal, maybe non-obvious way, but in a, that becomes so obvious as we walk together? Maybe they would walk together down that path now of purity and holiness. Is it possible for us to pray that way and see God move? I think it is. I think it is. But God provided character and godliness and holiness for Isaac, even in the midst of an ungodly people. God provided comfort for Isaac in the death of his mother. And he constantly provided us in our isolation by his spirit. God provided love for Isaac. And it's interesting in this passage, this, this is the moment where God's design for marriage actually comes to fruition. Abraham and Sarah, not really God's design. Remember, they, they met each other before they were even followers of Yahweh God. Here we have, and Isaac loved her. The New Testament tells us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To present her to himself holy and blameless. This is Isaac's love for Rebecca. He has a love for her. Love becomes the moniker of marriage in this moment, and it's a beautiful thing because God is love. Like God didn't just work this way back in Genesis. He works this way now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is still working through all of the so-called circumstances and chance of your lives. How many times have you been guilty like me of, wow, that was lucky? Anybody ever said that? You know, I hate the word lucky. I hate it. hate it. In fact, no longer will we have potluck meals. <laughs> this is a decree. We will have pot providence meals. Okay? God will decide what type of mac and cheese we will eat. Now, but think about it. It's like God orders everything and we act like it's just dumb luck you'll pray for a year for something god will do it and you go well that was lucky well how often do we just negate the fact that god's moved if you're married today look at your spouse ready no don't look at oh my word (laughs) see a couple of those already look at your spouse if you're about to get married you can do that i see two up top okay look at each other okay I want you to just just tell each other this. God did this. Think about that. Just today on the ride home, on the ride home, just think in hindsight to say, what did we know as we were together before we got married that we knew that God was doing this? And now how much more can we see now? Right? 
And be amazed at the scope of God's providential work in your life. Just be astounded by the fact that he keeps giving good gifts and we keep not thanking him. How good is our God? And when we get to the place of knowing that he's good and he's faithful and prayerfully going to him as our father and saying, God, show us your faithfulness. That's what he keeps praying. Show us your loving kindness and your faithfulness. He's going to show you. Because you don't think he wants you to know that he's faithful? He's going to show you. He's going to show you right in the midst of it. And when you see it, do not neglect to fall on your face and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. God is providentially working for his people. All the things that he promised, even when it seems impossible. He's working our best, even when it doesn't seem like it's the smartest, wisest, or most expedient thing. His ways are best. He's working holiness for us because he's holy. Even in a world surrounded by, that we're surrounded by, this world of worldliness and death and ungodliness. And God is providentially working a comforting presence in our life. Folks, I want you to understand this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given God himself to dwell in you by his spirit. You're looking for a sign? Anybody ever ask God for a sign? Say, God, if this is what you want me to do, give me a sign. And then you watch to see if the ceiling fan wobbles a little bit or if the lights flicker a little bit or if you get that tingle up your spine or it's like somebody walks through the door and you're like, oh, is it a sign? I want want you to hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's given you a sign. A sign of his faithfulness. A sign of his goodness. The Holy Spirit has been given to you to direct your paths. You do not need an external sign. You've been given the Holy Spirit to impart in you a godliness that will cause you to run after the ways of the Lord. Do you want to know where to go, what to do? Ask. Ask. So often we find ourselves asking for more than what God has given us without ever actually utilizing what God has already given us. And the greatest gift he gave you was himself. So would you not come to him today and say in 2019, Lord, let me see you working as I follow you in obedience. Let me see how you're doing it, because I want to worship you. I want to point it out to people and say, see what God's doing? And they're going to think I'm crazy. And I'm going to honor you in the middle of it. Could that be a prayer for us in 2019? Could that be a prayer for our children to see it more clearly than we could ever see it? Nothing, J.C. Ryle says, nothing whatever, whether great or small, can happen to a believer without God's ordering and permission. There is no such thing as chance, luck, or accident in the Christian's journey through this world. All is arranged and appointed by God, and all things are working together for the believer's good. And all God's people said, Amen. (laughs) If you're here today and you're not experiencing that, and you don't know the goodness in heaven, the only way to know him is through Jesus Christ. And so this is what God did. This is the good news of the gospel. In our unfaithfulness, he sent one who would be faithful. He sent one who would be faithful in our place. He would live a life of faithfulness. 
he would live a life that would never turn its back on the Lord and the Lord's ways. And he was completely faithful even to the point of dying a death that you and I deserved. See, we deserve to die a death because of our sin. All sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. And every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has gone our own way. But Jesus took our place. He took our place so that those of us who place our faith in him would now be able to walk in the assurance that all of our debts have been paid. And we're free. We can walk in faith. We can walk trusting that God's purposes and promises are true. And that all of the love that is poured out through Jesus on the cross, now we get to experience by his spirit and by his presence and by his care and by his provision every day. That's for us. And ultimately, it's, to, it's for this design that every time we recognize it, every time we get to pull back the curtain a little bit and see that God's done it, it's so that each of us would fall on our faces and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Not so that we would go, wow, these things are awesome that God is giving us. It's so that we could say, how awesome is the God who gave them to us. May that be our new year. My prayer for you today is if you have not trusted Jesus Christ, that today you would be made new. See, God did not come to make your life better, to make promises to you that would just make things better for you in this life. No, he came to make you new, to give you new life. And I offer that to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I say be reconciled to God. Have peace with God through Jesus Christ. There are people in the back, people here up front, people all over the church who would love to talk to you about what it is to follow Jesus Christ, what it is to have Christ. You can call me at any time, night or day. If you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning and Jesus is working on you, please call me. I will pray with you. I will talk to you. I will come to your house if you don't shoot me. (laughs) All of this is true. Whatever, Whatever it takes, I want you to understand there is nothing more important for you in 2019 And then to know that you are loved by a God who is working every day for your good if you are his child. And there's nothing more important if you are not his child, you have not trusted Jesus Christ for you to understand that you don't get to experience that. You experience residue of the grace that God pours out on the world. But you won't know what it is to have an intimate relationship with a father in heaven who loves you and works all things together for your good. My prayer for you today is that that would change and that you would be made new in Christ.